In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word because it is true and it is powerful. And we just pray that today, Lord, that as we dig into your word, Lord, that you would impact us deeply, that you would transform us, that you would speak to exactly where we need to be spoken to. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would be here and the Holy Spirit would speak loudly. And Lord, that you would just, again, leave us changed people. So we thank you for that opportunity to interact with you that way and interact with your word that way. And again, we just lift up what's rested this morning to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, for those of you who don't know me, I'm about almost a 60-year-old guy who is a little bit on the husky side, but still thinks of himself as a proficient basketball player. And every now and then, I still get out on the court, and the reality is that my brain is much more creative than my body is at this point in time in terms of what I can do. So every now and then it gets sad, but um, somebody in my era at least knows the fundamentals. So I can still do a bounce pass, and I can still do a jump shot if you have grace with me and allow me to take out the jumping part. Um, I can set a screen, that's where kind of the huskiness kind of helps out. I can block out for a rebound, again, husky is good and that. So there's a handful of things that husky is good with basketball. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some don't. Um, but there's a... a, a a word in basketball um, that is pivot. Does anybody know here in this room what pivot is? I had one person in the last one, so I have one person in the back row in this one. What pivot is, is this, this would be called my pivot foot. And what it allows me to do without being uh, traveling, having a traffic violation, is I can change direction on that pivot foot. So th- those of you who know basketball know that's what pivot is. If you're not into sports or basketball, maybe you're into business, pivot is also used when it talks about as a business how you change your business plan or your product line, you're pivoting from one focus to another. And the reason we're talking, you have to put that word pivot into your brain today, is what we're talking about today in the text we're focusing in on is both Jesus and the 12 who were chosen as disciples had pivot points in the text that we're sticking in on. There was a change of direction for them. So that's why I went through that description of a basketball player pivoting to everybody here in this room. So I hope that was enjoyable (laughs) for everybody. Um, But pivot, change of direction. That's something that we're going to focus on today. And it wouldn't be a sermon without me sharing with you ahead of time a little secret Not only did Jesus pivot at that moment in this text and have the 12 pivoted, but I'm going to actually ask you in this uh, sermon to pivot as well, or at least consider being willing to pivot, being willing to change direction as as a group. How does that sound? Amen to that? Okay. So let's get into the text a little bit. We're going to be, again, at John, excuse me, Luke 12, verse 12 through 16, And I'm going to just start with the first three words. In these 
days. So what in these days means here is it's basically the season of Jesus' life, this time period where he is working in his early ministry years. And if you've been here for the last several months, you've heard a lot of these stories, but I'm just going to recap them for you right now, is this was a time where Jesus' popularity increased dramatically. If you remember a couple of the stories, one was when he was actually teaching at the shore of the lake, and the crowd was pressing in on him so much that he actually had to get out get into a boat and press into the water to continue teaching. That was how many people there were and how assertive they were at wanting to hear what he had to say. There was another story in a building where the, par- uh, the paralyzed person got um, healed, where the building was so full, overflowing, that his friends actually had to tear off the top of the roof, lower him down with a pallet in order to put him in front of Jesus. That's how big he was. So Jesus is teaching in, this, in these days to multitudes, I'm not sure exactly what that word means, but it definitely means a lot, right? He's got crowds. The crowds are excited. And miraculous things are being done. So healing is being done. We talked about healing of the paralytic, but he also healed the man with the withering hand. He healed the leper. All of this amazing stuff is happening. And then other miracles, like after he went off in Simon's boat to teach, he took him out into the water. After a whole night of unproductive fishing for Simon, if you remember, he came back during the day when you don't really catch fish normally and had a boat full. In fact, so much that he had to bring his partner over to fill up two boats full of fish. So amazing things are happening in this time um, for Jesus. And he's also teaching with authority. If you remember some of the stories, the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees are amazed at how authoritative Jesus is in his teaching. They're, you know, kind of like, who is this guy that he teaches with such authority? He's also claiming to be the Messiah. So he's saying, I am God and I can forgive sin. So he's making radical claims in this period of time, in this time. In addition to being somebody who the common people are rallying around, around multitudes are, um, are following him, they're excited, they're getting healed. The leaders of the religious leaders of the day, the political leaders of the day, they're getting knocked around a little bit, right? They don't like Jesus so much. He's right in their face. He's smacking on them. If you actually go back to the verse 11, so right before our text today, it says, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So the political leaders and the religious leader of the day, they want Jesus gone. All this is going on in these days for Jesus. So that sets the context for the rest of the text that we're going to be going into. Um, Casting out demons, too. I missed that. Also casting out demons. So crazy stuff is going on, too, right? Stuff they hadn't seen before. High-pressure time. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment and think about what that must be like. Multitudes of people pressing in on you, high expectations, people wanting to be, be healed, and the, the opposition of the religious leaders. Crazy times, right? And let's look at what Jesus did in these times. Let's look at verse, the second half of verse 12. So it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So Jesus had a kind of an easy three-point plan as it related to what do I do when I'm in these days. The first thing he did, he removed himself for the noise. So that's just not the kind of the audible buzz, but it's like all the stuff, all the chaos around him, which I, I think you can imagine. Jesus at that time in these days 
removed himself for that. Then what did he do? He attached himself to the Father in prayer. So he prayed. And the third thing he did, he continued. So he abided. He was persistent about it. So Jesus had this three-point plan, but it wasn't, in this case, it wasn't an isolated instance for Jesus. This was a pattern in his life. And I want to go to Luke, a couple chapters earlier, Luke 4, 42. If you've got a Bible, go over there with me quickly. And what it says is, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. So he did it at night, prayed all night with, with the, the Father on the mountain, here during the day, removed himself and went to a desolate place. Now let's go to Luke 5, and we're going to go to verse 15 and 16. It says, But now even more, a report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their iniquities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So here's this sweet picture of a rhythm of life for Jesus. What does he do? He does it often, right? He allows himself in the fray, in the chaos, to step back from all of that and get away from the noise. That's what he's able to do. My question for you is that's his rhythm. What rhythm do you have to get out of the noise when you're in these days? I got hit with a little thing this last week um, that kind of, made me really evaluate this for myself, is my mother lives here in Santa Barbara with my dad, and she's 90 years old, and so she's lived a good life for sure, but about a week and a half ago, she had a medical emergency, was rushed to the hospital, and when they um, did an evaluation of her, she was really iron deficient, she was anemic, really anemic, she had low sodium, and she had low potassium, so she was really weak, and while she was there, after about a day, she developed what they call hospital delirium. And what that means, the nurses or doctors in the room probably know what that means, I didn't. But what that means is that sometimes, when, frequently when somebody goes into the hospital in a situation like that, they basically go crazy. So my mom was seeing things, she was hearing things, she was paranoid about things. The first morning my dad and I walked in, she apologized to my dad because he got arrested that night. And it was just really, it was emotional and hard for me to, um, to deal with, to see my mom from one day being very clear-minded and focused to basically seeing things, hearing things, being paranoid about everything. Um, and um, that was amidst everything else that I have in my area of responsibility, my business, my responsibilities at church, our family life. That was something that hit me very hard. I go to Ventura um, probably three or four days a week for my business. And um, a few days after we'd been hit with that, I got in my car, was going to make my first trip to Ventura and got ready to, I have my pre-programmed buttons and I have on one my Christian um, sermon station and my Christian music station and then I have my ESPN sports talk station. So I was getting ready, in the midst of all this, I was getting ready to get into my car, got in, got in ready to turn it on, turn it on, and I was getting ready to hit that button for ESPN and all of a sudden, it wasn't like an audible sound, but it was like, no, do not do that. And I kind of it was kind of in my heart, in my spirit, I felt that. And I was kind of tempted to do it anyway, but then it was like, again, no, don't do that. And I really feel like the Lord was giving me a taste of my own medicine. What I was going to be sharing with you today was something he was sharing with me. I, I was going to cover up the noise with more noise. And what God wanted me to do is 
reflect on what Jesus does when he's in the middle of the noise. He regularly steps back from that and gets quiet. And so what I did is I, I listened to what God was speaking to me. I didn't hit the ESPN. You know, I, I fasted from ESPN for the moment. I drove 35 minutes into Ventura and took it as an opportunity to just kind of lay my heart before the Lord, tell the Lord how I was struggling with my mom's condition and how it was hard to see her that way. And I didn't know, gosh, would she ever get back to the way she was? And the Lord ministered to me so well in that trip. When I got to my office in Ventura, I had this supernatural peace about me that was amazing. But the, the point of it was, I had, where Jesus has this normal rhythm of life, this pattern of living where he's able to step away, my pattern is not, what, what God was showing me is, Alan, that's not your pattern. Your pattern when this is going on is to put noise on top of other noise. And what I was gonna do that day is I was going to turn on ESPN and listen to some, you know, unimportant show as I went. When, when the God of the universe wanted to minister to me, I was going to choose a sports talk radio station on my way. And my question to you is, what do you do? What, what, what come, is it your first choice or your last resort? What is your go-to when you're in these days? In a group like this, I imagine it just wasn't Jesus that had his in these days. I imagine if we talked amongst ourselves as a group here, you all feel like you might be in the middle of in these days. You might be feeling some of that same stress, some of those same high expectations, some of the same oppositions, some of the same things in terms of what is my future going to be like that Jesus did in that moment. And my question to you all is, what is your go-to? Is it the one Jesus is, or is it the one that Alan took? Sport, and again, it doesn't have to be sports talk. It could be anything. When I hear from people in our home group, it could be a Netflix, um, what is it called, binge, right? I, I watched like 15 episodes of XYZ, man. It was amazing. Or it could be a video game thing. Yeah, video game marathon. It was amazing. Five in the morning, I was, you know. Whatever that is. It could be, hey, uh, you know, I, when, when it happens to me, I go get a glass of wine. I go get a drink of beer. I light something up. I take something. I go on Amazon and buy everything I can buy. You know, for any, it could be anything for anybody in this room. But the question that we have to ask based on this text is, is our first go-to the same one that Jesus has? What Jesus did when he was in these days, think about the stress and pressure that he was in. Think about the multitudes. Think about the expectations people had when he's healing people, what, you know, how much they wanted of him. Think about the opposition, people who want to kill him. What did he do? He stepped away from the noise, right? The question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do we have a regular, consistent routine to step away from the noise like Jesus did. So that was the first step, right? Step away from the noise. The second step was attach ourselves to the Father, get into prayer. And for most of us in this room, when we hear about Jesus prayed all night, that's really an intimidating thought. Um, but we think uh, he's, he's God, so he has more, you know, he has more, what do you call it? Endurance than I might have. Most of us in the room would probably say, man, I can't go for more than two or three minutes. You know, I have ADD, I get distracted, I can't this, that, or the other, I can't provoke. But I, that's not, I don't think, the point of this text. I think the point of this text is the power of those connections. And what I want to do right now is share with you 
some of God's promises as it relates to uh, when we spend time with him, when we do step two, when we step away from the fray, from the noise, and when we step into communication with the Father, what he promises us. And just kind of sit in these for a second, because, it, because this, is a, this is a gift from God for us. And these are, if you believe the Bible is truth, these are truths that we need to hold on to. So, so the first one is in Philippians, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And what this says, he gives peace when we're anxious. So this, uh, this played out in my experience this last week. It was, it was a truth. So, so I asked the group here, is, is anybody in this room anxious about anything? I mean, are you anxious about anything with your finances, with your health, with your relationships, with what's going on at work, with what's going on at school? I bet there are a few of you here. What God is promising us here is, hey, step away from the noise and step into my promise for you. And this promise in Philippians says, give me your anxiety and in exchange I will give you peace. Amen? I mean, how good, how good is that, right? So the question is, why aren't we taking advantage of it, right? Why aren't we taking advantage of it? And today, what we're going to be talking about is Jesus pivoted, the 12 will see pivoted, and the challenge I have for this group this morning is, are you going to be willing to pivot? Because you have rhythms and patterns in your life, as do I, and the question is, this morning, are you going to be moved by the Spirit to say, I'm going to pivot from this, and am I going to pivot to this, when I'm in these days of mine, right? For Alan, my days were, hey, my mom is sick, I'm not sure she's gonna get better, and all this stuff is going on, and hey, God is better than ESPN. I love ESPN, it's great. God is better than ESPN, and what is it for you? You need to make that choice. But the first one is, he'll give us peace when we're anxious. The second one in Isaiah 40, he'll give you strength when you're weary. Anybody weary in here? Anybody feel kind of tired? Maybe today, or maybe for, for the last week, or maybe for the last month, or hey, I've been weary for years. God promised us that he will give us strength when we're, really, when we're weary. Question is, do you, do you believe that? Psalm 23, which is one of my favorites. When we're fearful, he'll show his presence. How amazing is that? When I'm fearful of something, God himself will make himself known to me, will show his presence. Is anybody fearful of anything in here? My wife, Janine, when I was going through this stuff, she asked me, what are, you, what are you fearful of? When I was kind of stressing out about my mom, wondering if she would be the same ever again. God says, I'll be there when you have fear. How amazing is that? Psalm 46, one, he's a refuge when we're troubled. So refuge is like protection. So God promises to be our protector when we're troubled. And lastly, Matthew, uh, Pastor Lazo has taught on this a few times lately, 11.28, he'll give us rest when we're burdened. And this is just a few. We could, I could spend 20 minutes going through these. I could have a list of, of 50 of these. But again, the question for us as a group today is, Jesus had this pattern, Right? He was in the middle of it, just like, we, again, most people in this room have said, God, are you in the middle of it right now? You'd raise your hand, yeah, I'm in the middle of it. What Jesus did regularly is stepped away from the noise and then stepped into the Father, right? So the, the thing that I'm going to ask you to pivot on today is if that's not your normal pattern of life, are you willing to pivot? Are you willing to make a change and turn to him? 
I said this before, but I guess the question for me, and I'll, I'll say maybe it's a question for you too, is, is prayer, is God the last resort, or is he the first choice? And, and what God is calling us to do today is, I want to be the go-to. I don't want to be the last resort. I want to be the first choice. And that's what it was with Jesus. It sounds, it's at night, it's during the day, it's often, it's when things are really good, it's when things are really bad. He did it, right? So that's, that's really, really challenging today. But it's a gift from God. This was something that Jesus had access to. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, what he did is gave us complete access to the Father by virtue of that. So this is a gift that we have. It's not something that we should say, man, this is a hard thing, or this is just one more thing on my to-do list. That's not what we want it to be. We want it to be something that you want to do. I think of it like when you don't work out for a long time, and then you start to work out. If any of you have been through that, where the, the first time is really hard, and you step in, and oh, man, and then the second time you have to force yourself. But like third, fourth time, you're seeing the benefits, and you want to go. You don't have to go anymore. That's what prayer life is like. So I would encourage you, if it's hard for you, just like going to Gold's Gym, step into this. Pivot into this, because it's good, and the promise is there. It may take a little bit of time, and again, it's not about doing it for 24 hours. It's about getting yourself out of the noise and stepping into Jesus. And the question for this group, if you um, look at statistics, um, this was a crazy one for me. If in an average American's lifetime, we're going to be on social media over five years of our life and watch TV more than seven years of our life. So more than 12 years of our life is gonna be eaten up watching TV and doing social media. And the social media number is skyrocketing. The TV one is coming down because some of the social media stuff you know, you can watch the same way. But like 12 years out of your life, if you're average, is going to be eaten up with that stuff. And do the, and this is, again, that's, I'm talking about getting away from the noise. That doesn't get you away from the noise. That stacks noise on top of noise. So with the troubles of life, that just stacks it right on top of that. And do the eyeball test. When you leave church today, spend time today looking around and seeing what people are doing. You know, in the grocery store line, um, in the restaurant, um, wherever you go, even like on the, walking on the beach, texting, you know, walking up the trail to lizards, you know, texting. So people, we have a really, really difficult time today remo- removing ourselves from the noise. Would you agree with that? We all do that. Like we hear a little, like if I did bing right now, most of you would kind of, you know, do a little shake. Kind of, you know, maybe your phone's out, maybe it's not. But, but we're all like that, and it's a battle. And what I would encourage you to think about is, is that, that noise that stacks on top of the other normal no- noise of life is contrary to Jesus' prescription and pattern of life that he wants us to partake in. So that's the pivot that I'm going to ask you to take today, is are you willing to say, it is good for me to consider pivoting away from the noise when I'm in this moment and pivoting toward Jesus, okay? Is, is it a good thing for me to do that? And am I gonna embrace these promises? And watch yourself. Again, I wouldn't have thought, you know, hey, uh, I do my quiet time and all that kind of stuff, but when I hopped out in the car and was gonna hit ESPN, God said, no, that's not what I want you to do. 
It wasn't healthy. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I'll go into and watch TV and I'm just dulling over things. God wants to revitalize us. That's what, when we read further in this text, we'll see that Jesus left that night of prayer with the Father. He was ready. He was focused. He was refreshed when all that stuff was going on. In fact, let's, let's go there right now. We're going to read, continue on, and we're going to read 13, verse 13 through verse 16. And when day came, he called the disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon was called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. So what did Jesus do? It says, after all night, he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called the disciples and chose from them 12. So it wasn't like, um, okay, now what we're going to do is I'm going to have somebody put together a job description for what, you know, what does an apostle do? And then we'll get HR involved and they're post a, post a requisition. And then we'll get some interviews in and we've got to make sure we do reference checks and we take them through the personality tests that we want. And we, we've got to see what they're doing. Jesus said, he came down off the hill, called the people, and if we look at the disciples, the disciples at that time were um, learners. So the disciples were more than 12, more than 70, because in a couple chapters, it's actually going to show that Jesus calls out 70 disciples, and it's probably thought to be several hundred. So it's probably at least like a group this size. Calls them in, disciples, you guys are all Christ followers, learners, and he, from there he chooses 12 very decisive, very refreshed, very ready. If, if we were in charge of the hiring process of the 12 apostles, do you think we would have done it like that? No way. I would have taken me months. And I probably would have got myself fired and my HR person fired for what we did. But look at the, look at the people. Okay, let's go on, the, the, the people. This is just a list of names. And we're not gonna go through a personality review of each person, but think about the people that Jesus chooses to be the apostles. And, and the word apostle is sent ones, ambassadors, emissaries. So these are going to go from learning, absorbing, to doing people. And, and the apostles are basically the guys that Jesus is going to have in his succession plan to take over the ministry once he leaves the earth. So this is big stuff. This is an important task. This is huge. If you think about um, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, that's, this is what he's asking them to go make disciples of the nations and teach them all my commands. This is what these 12 are going to be called to do. Jesus is going to relay this to them. Let's, let's look at these guys. Probably, they all lived, other than one probably, in the Galilean region, which is like an agrarian farming area. Um, so it's not the big city. At least four of them were fishermen for sure, and maybe up to seven of them. If the other ones weren't fishermen, they were tradesmen or craftsmen. So seven of them were guys who worked with their hands for a living. So these weren't the religious leaders. These weren't the political leaders. These weren't the ones that had been most eloquently trained or the best speakers or anything. These are guys who are out there fishing or building stuff. Tax collector. Those of you who've been at church the last several weeks, Pastor Lazo has talked about 
how tax collectors are thought of, but tax collectors were typically Jewish guys who went to work for the Romans, taking the taxes from their countrymen and taking a little bit off the top for themselves. Usually they were rich guys. They were the most hated guys in the area. So just think about Jesus is kind of building the team. Okay, so far, how's he doing? Four fishermen, maybe seven fishermen, but if they're not a fisherman, probably a carpenter or somebody who works with other materials. And, and a tax collector, the most hated guy in the area, right? Okay, what's, what's next? The zealot. That's a great word, right? Zealot? How often do you guys use zealot in your daily routine? So zealot is somebody who's like uh, an anarchist here, but basically somebody who hates the Roman government so much that he'll do anything to take them down. So the zealot is somebody who is crazy about politically taking down Rome. So, okay, think about, again, that conference room table. You got the Jewish tax, tax collector who's gone into, you know, cahoots with the Romans, and you have the zealot who hates the Romans so bad across the, the conference room table with each other. What is Jesus doing with this team he's building, right? Is this the way you would have built the team? I don't think so. Let's keep going on. He gets the guy who's going to betray him. He knows ahead of time that Judas is going to betray him, right? What do, you, do you think there was conversation with Jesus and the Father in that night of prayer about Judas? Are we going to do this? Or are we not? Why are we going to do this? I mean, there was a plan, right? But this is, I mean, we're building the team. He brings Judas onto the team. Two sets of brothers. Anybody have brothers and sisters in this room? Lot, okay, you guys see you're quiet. I guess it's like, Len, you know, okay. Is it because you just got up, or you've been up so long you're ready for a nap, or what? <laughs> okay. I won't disparage you. You have to be nice to me. So. Um, two sets of brothers. So, again, if I were hiring, you know, no, maybe there could be a sibling rivalry. Maybe they won't get along. You know, having family all together isn't a good thing. This is how Jesus is building the team. They're not religious leaders. They're not political leaders. They're not gifted in any particular way. The best thing you can probably say about the 12 people that he's choosing to be apostles is they are extraordinary because they're so ordinary and not cut out for what he's about to do. Just think about the task at hand. The church is going to depend on these 12 guys. The reason we're here today was dependent on what they did way back then, 2,000 years ago, right? The 2 billion Christians around the world are, are there because of what these guys did obviously led by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but th this is a big task. This is a big job. Why the heck is he picking these guys? What's Jesus' criteria? I don't know. It's kind of hard to, hard to imagine, right? I'm going to take you to a scripture that I think speaks to it. We're going to go back to Luke. Luke 5, verse 11, the second part. And again, this is dealing with the fishermen again. In what it says, it, they left everything and followed him. So I think what Jesus' criteria was for them is they were willing to pivot and follow him. He wanted their heart. He wanted a heart willing to pivot and follow him is the criteria he used to choose the 12 apostles that he had such an amazing big job for. And I think that's the same criteria he uses with us. 
So if we're going to try to kind of compare things, I guess my first question is, can you guys relate to any of the apostles? Again, think about what they were like. Um, Hot-headed, timid, not the wealthiest, not the most educated, not the most prepared. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, I'm going to give you the most important task of the world. Why? Not because you're ready, willing, and able. When I, used to, when I hire for my company, I'm looking for people who are ready, they're willing, and they're able. Jesus doesn't do that. What Jesus said is, if you are willing, I am more than able, and I'll get you ready. That's the difference. So I think if we look at the apostles, that's the criteria. I am wet, ready, willing, and able to follow you. Right? And that's the same thing that happens with us. Jesus did not call the equipped. It's really obvious. He chose to equip the called. So again, if any of you in this room in your life are thinking, yeah, I'm disqualified probably because of my past, that's a lie. That's a lie from Satan. If any of you are saying, I'm not capable because I'm not ready, that's a lie. That's a lie from Satan. And I think the way we know that is by looking at how Jesus picked the twelve. Jesus did not pick the smartest, he didn't pick the most educated, he didn't pick the richest, he didn't pick the most ready, he didn't pick the ones that knew the most about the the, um, scrolls, he didn't pick any of that. What he picked is fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and brothers and people that weren't up to the task, and why did he do that? He did that because they were willing to pivot and follow him. So again, that's, if, we, if we look at what this text is going to be telling us today, for you, where do you need to pivot? There's two pivot points for everybody in this room today. The first one is what I talked about before. Are you willing to pivot away from the noise and pivot to the Father in prayer? And the second one is, am I willing to pivot to follow him just like the apostles did? I'm going to share with you some confirming scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So Jesus does not choose the equipped. Jesus equips those he chooses. So again, my encouragement to the people in this room is today, as we get ready for worship, to try to clear the noise out of your head. Just like Jesus did his three-point plan, I'm going to remove myself from the noise, I'm going to attach myself to the Father in prayer, and I'm going to kind of just persist in it, I'm going to abide in it. That's what I pray for you during our worship time. And then on the big picture, pray that God would touch your heart if there's a pivot necessary. And for everybody in this room, the pivot might be a little bit different. There may be people in this room that have never made a decision to follow Jesus, who they're feeling prompted to pivot that way. Praise God if that's the case. There may be people in here who've been Christians for 60 years. And for you, the pivot may be, I'm stale. 
I need to, be, need to be refreshed. I need to step into something different. For some of you, maybe I have this relationship that's really bad, and I need to pivot to reconciliation and forgiveness. So it's going to be different for everybody in this room, but that's what Jesus is calling us to today. He wants you to pivot and turn to him. So as the worship team comes up, I'd like to pray for you and kind of set the stage for our time in worship together. Lord, we just thank you for this time together this morning, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your example, Jesus, that you showed us what is a healthy way of life, Lord, stepping away from the noise of the day and stepping into the Father, Lord, and just persisting in that. And that, Lord, through the apostle, you showed us that um, we don't have to be equipped, we just need to be ready. We just need to be people who are willing to step into what you have for us. So I pray for this congregation this morning, Lord, that you would show them what you have for them, that you'd reveal yourself to them, that their willingness, Lord, that you would make them ready because you are so able. And God, we just thank you for who you are in our lives. And again, we thank you for being here with us this morning. And I just pray that this worship would be an amazing time of revealing yourself to us. And we thank you in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.